there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Saturday, January 25th, 2020. On this day in 1990, hitchhiker Paul Onions narrowly escaped the clutches of Australia's most notorious serial killer, Ivan Milat. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the attempted kidnap and murder of British backpacker Paul Onions. Let's go back to the town of Mittagong, Australia on Thursday, January 25th, 1990. Paul Onions wandered slowly along the row of small shops. As the 24-year-old hitched his bulging backpack higher on his shoulders, he stepped under the awning stretching along the shop fronts, eager to escape the hot Australian sun. He had just arrived in Mittagong on a train from Sydney, where he'd been staying at a youth hostel. Now, wanting an authentic backpacker experience, he was headed to Mildura in northwest Victoria where he could work as a fruit picker. He just needed someone to take him the rest of the way, about nine hours west. He hoped a friendly driver would be willing to give him a ride. First though, a snack. As Paul sifted through his pockets for change, a middle-aged man pulled up to the curb alongside him. The man briefly went into a shop, then returned to his SUV. Before he got in the car, the man spotted Paul's backpack. He smiled and introduced himself as Bill. Paul grinned, thinking how much Bill looked like the Australian cricketer, Dennis Lilly. The pair shook hands, and Paul explained he was bound for Mildura. Miraculously, Bill said he was heading in that direction if Paul wanted a ride. It would be good to have some company. Paul had heard Australians were friendly, but hadn't expected to find a ride quite this easily. What a pleasant surprise. He threw his bag into the back of the car and climbed into the passenger seat. The journey started out well. Paul was excited to be heading one step closer to Mildura, and Bill was enjoying having someone to talk to. But then Bill started spouting racist views and disparaging Australia's immigrant communities. Paul wasn't comfortable with the conversation. Still, he felt like the worst he could expect was a few more hours of awkward chit-chat. He was wrong. Just a few minutes later, Bill slowed the truck and pulled onto the highway shoulder. When Paul asked why they had stopped, Bill told him that they would soon lose the radio signal, so he was going to retrieve some cassette tapes from underneath his seat. Paul felt a chill down his spine as he looked at the console between the seats, where several cassettes already sat. 
Paul decided to get out of the car and stretch his legs, getting as far from Bill as possible. But Bill immediately asked him what he was doing and told him he should get back in. Aware something was very wrong, but not sure how to act, Paul did as he was told. Bill was still rummaging under the seat. Seconds later, Bill straightened up, pointing a revolver directly at Paul. All of Paul's worst fears were confirmed as he looked down the barrel of the gun. For a moment, he didn't know how to act or what he should do next. But when he saw Bill pull out a coil of rope, his instincts took over. He decided to run. He launched himself out of the car. Paul could hear Bill yelling, ordering him to stop, but he kept going. Then came the gunshot. Paul began to panic. He waved frantically at every oncoming car. He watched as some slowed down to see what was happening before accelerating away. Meanwhile, Bill was advancing on him with the loaded gun. Paul knew what he had to do. He ran into the middle of the highway and planted himself directly in the path of an oncoming van. Behind the wheel, Joanne Barry slammed on the brakes. In seconds, Paul dashed to the side of the van, pulled open the sliding door and dove inside. He scrambled to duck behind Joanne's seat and begged her to drive. Joanne could see that Paul was shaking and utterly terrified. When she heard him say that someone had a gun, she didn't wait for further explanation. She had five children in the car, and this mother wasn't about to let anything happen to them or to Paul. She drove away as quickly as she could. As they escaped, Paul looked back over his shoulder to look for Bill. His attacker was standing by the side of the road, a chilling smirk on his face. While Joanne drove Paul to the nearest police station, he was grateful just to have gotten away from Bill. What he didn't know was that he had just escaped from Ivan Milat, Australia's most notorious serial killer. Coming up, we'll look at Ivan Milat's horrific murders and learn how Paul Onions helped put him behind bars. Now back to the story. On January 25, 1990, 24-year-old Paul Onions managed to escape Ivan Milat, who attempted to kidnap him as he hitchhiked just outside of Sydney, Australia. Following the ordeal, Paul told his story to the police and then tried to move on. He met up with his girlfriend and continued his trip around Australia before returning home to England. But not everyone who entered Ivan's crosshairs had that option. Two and a half years later, on September 19, 1992, two hikers came across a partially buried body in the Belanglo State Forest in New South Wales. By the next morning, police had uncovered a second corpse, some 30 meters from the first, Using dental records, they were able to identify the bodies as 21-year-old Caroline Clark and 22-year-old Joanne Walters. Caroline's body had multiple gunshot wounds, while Joanne had been brutally stabbed to death. The two women were British backpackers 
who had last been seen in April of that year, just outside Sydney. Just over a year later, in October of 1993, two skeletons were found in a different part of the Belanglo State Forest. They were identified as 19-year-old Australians Deborah Everest and James Gibson, who had been missing since December of 1989. Like Joanne Walters, Deborah and James both died of multiple stab wounds. Now alert of a possible serial killer, police proceeded to sweep the forest. On November 1, 1993, yet another skeleton was discovered. It was soon identified as that of Simone Schmiedel, a 21-year-old German backpacker who was last seen leaving Sydney in January of 1991. Like three of the other victims, Simone had died of multiple stab wounds. Just three days later, on November 4th, the bodies of German couple Gabor Neugebauer, 21, and Anya Hobschied, 20, were found in shallow graves, yet again stabbed to death. Anya had also been decapitated. Her skull was never found. The young couple were last seen in Sydney in December of 1991. Like Paul Onions, they had been heading for Mildura to work as fruit pickers. As 1993 turned into 1994, the police investigation was massive in scale, with 360 officers working on the case at any one time. The crimes and the investigation were splashed across the front page of newspapers across Australia. The case got so big that it even started to make international news, creating a hubbub in the UK. It was there that Paul Onions read about the murders and decided to reach out to authorities. Perhaps Bill was the murderer. Ivan Milat had always been on the list of suspects, but when Paul flew back to Australia and picked Milat's photo from a lineup, the list narrowed even further. When police searched Milat's house, it narrowed down to one. They discovered the belongings of several murdered backpackers, along with an arsenal of weapons. On May 22, 1994, Ivan Milat was arrested. Eight days later, he was formally charged in court. As he was led into the courthouse, people leaned out of their car windows to shout, hang him, as they drove by. Two years after the arrest, Milat's trial began, running for some 18 weeks. As part of the defense, Milat's lawyers attempted to foist blame for the murders onto one of their client's nine brothers. Their strategy failed, however, thanks in part to Paul Onions, who was a star witness for the prosecution. Ivan Milat was sentenced to seven life sentences for the backpacker murders. But his crimes weren't forgotten. In the early 2000s, he served as an influence for the Australian horror film, Wolf Creek. The legacy of his villainous crimes lives on, in the film and in the minds of Australians, who to this day see the Belanglo State Forest as a symbol of horror.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out our series, Serial Killers, in which we chronicle the life and crimes of real serial killers from around the world. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Joel Callen, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 